como 10 minutos. Okay. Nada más que eso y de ahí viene el, el, el sendero nuevamente de unos 3, 4 metros de ancho. Welcome to another edition of Strangers Abroad. This podcast is a series of conversations with the wonderful and weird people I met while backpacking throughout Latin America. These are the hitchhikers, the couch surfers, the expats, the thrill seekers, the mountain climbers, the volunteers, and society quitters. The people who, for one reason or another, made the decision to challenge themselves, to leave behind the comforts of home, venture out into the world to see what happens. Here we go. I met Dino at the base of a small waterfall in Costa Rica, outside of a tiny town named Uvita. I had trugged for an hour on a hilly, dusty road in the punishing tropical heat. It's a type of humidity that kind of sticks to you. A thin layer of dust mixing with sweat began cementing itself onto my body, and I was ready to wash it off. Once I arrived to the waterfall, there were already a few other people in the small, pristine pool at the base of it. I watched young boys with primate acrobatics climb up the slippery rocks and propel their bodies over the falls. And as I jumped into the cold water, I felt myself become clean again. As I pulled myself out of the water and onto the dry rocks, I started packing up my bag, drying my hair, and this American guy comes up to me. He asked if I could take a picture of him in the waterfall, and he handed me his GoPro, which I did because taking photos for strangers is kind of a silent understanding in the travel community where everybody asks and everybody does it, and you're always appreciative even if you're disappointed with the un-Instagrammable photo you get back. I gave him his GoPro and he started doing a recording. Hey guys, me again, I just wanted to give you a real quick update. I'm in Uvita, Costa Rica at the base of a tiny waterfall in the middle of the jungle. It's so magical here. And as he kept talking into the camera, I was like, what, who is this guy? And I wondered what he was doing all this for. As he finished and my body began to prune, he started chatting and I quickly got swept up in his tsunami of words, giving me the details of his trip. He had been bouncing around Central America, following his internal compass that changed as quickly as the wind, with no clear direction in sight. It was one of those interactions where pausing to mention our names would have only slowed us down. I travel out of loneliness which is ironic because I'm alone most of the time. It's an aspect I've always tried to escape, but it kind of finds me wherever I am. So then he asks, well, what are you doing for the rest of the day? Well, I said I was gonna check out some of the, the whale's tail later. Can I join you? He asked. Sure, I said. Okay, let me just go to my hostel. We hitched a ride with a local who brought us higher and deeper into the jungle as we made small talk with him in our broken, American-accented Spanish. Once we got out of the car, and as I waited for him to retrieve his bags, I walked up to the elevated outside patio, perched so one could peer into the layers of the jungle. It wasn't until we were done at his hostel, ready to carry on with our day, that I realized we hadn't even exchanged names yet. It's fun to look back at a moment when you meet someone not knowing the future effects they will have on you, looking at what you know now. Dino and I ended up spending a significant amount of time together, bouncing in and out of each other's adventures for the following weeks. I wasn't able to interview him then, so this is a Skype recording, done when we were both back in the States. Here's his story. Would you like to introduce yourself? <laughs> yeah, uh, my name is Dino. I am a uh, I'm I'm an entrepreneur that loves that loves the world. We'll, we'll do it that way. Beautiful. Where Where did you grow up, and where do you live now? Where are you live? So I grew. Yeah, I was born in Florida, but grew up in Texas, uh, and that's where I did my undergrad, my master's, and then moved out to Los Angeles, uh, which is 
definitely where my heart is. Mm. Uh, I love this city. Um, I think it's really special because I always tell people when they come there, it's a great city to figure out who you are because it's either going to chew you up and spit you out or it's going to grow you up. Mm. And you have the ability to decide which one it's going to be. It's an amazing place. Right. Amazing place. So what kind of inspired you or pushed you to take this trip? Okay, well, so five years ago, like as I said, I'm an entrepreneur. Five years ago, um, I had taken another trip similar to this. And uh, that trip was in response to, um, I had built a company, spent four years building it, raised a bunch of money for it. And part of the conditions of raising that money that was that we brought in a CEO who had more experience than I did in the tech industry because I didn't have tech industry experience. And the guy that they recommended and that we brought in ended up basically stealing $400,000 and single-handedly tanking our company. And so after that was done, I was like, what do I do? I I don't, I mean, like everything was kind of just falling apart. I had to go bankrupt through the the process. It was, took a big toll on me. And a buddy of mine had just come back from Southeast Asia traveling for a while and said how cheap it was. And so I was like, well, I'll go check out Bali for three weeks. I just need to get away. And when I was there for that three weeks, that's when I got the traveling bug and was like, oh, crap, I need to do more. Uh, I'm going to extend my ticket. So I changed my ticket and made it for two months of traveling and went, you know, from from Bali to Java, uh, which is all part of Indonesia, over to Singapore, to Malaysia. And I was in Thailand and I found out that I was supposed to be leaving on like on February 28th. The full moon party at Copenhagen was on March 1st. And I was like, well, I can't do that. Yeah. I got to go to full moon party. Yeah. Um, and so then I changed my ticket and pushed it back another two months. And so um, that first trip was like four months. It just changed my worldview. It changed your my mindset to the possibilities of what this this world, this earth, uh, people have the capacity to do. And also it, it re-educated me because I was kind of in a lower place. When you have everything, like I was worth millions and then I was stripped down to nothing, which is fine. It was one of those things where, you know, you just kind of get a little down on yourself and what you can do. And, but everybody else was like, oh, my gosh, you did all this. I can't believe you've done this. Well, you know, and so it was interesting to see the way that people perceived me versus the way I was perceiving myself. And so it, it really helped me get the, uh, a better mindset about who I was. So after that trip, I came back and I started another company and that company was going really well. And then I got into um, a major motorcycle wreck. And it just so happened that it was at the tipping point of the company. Amina, a business partner, had built this company up from nothing. And in June of 2012, we decided that we were going to expand the operations. We were going to take on some debt. We were going to buy bigger portfolios and hire uh, more employees. And that's exactly what we did. And July was our best month ever. And at that point, me and this partner um, were pouring all the money back into the company. All of our employees made more than us. We only took 1000 bucks home a month total. And we were in Los Angeles. So <laughs> you know how thin and how much we were being stretched. And um, on August 8th of 2012, I was returning from Manhattan Beach down to Marina. And um, as I was driving along, it was about 10 o'clock at night, somebody got in their car on the shoulder of the road and decided they wanted to make an illegal U-turn without looking. And so he pulled out into the middle of the road, blocked both my lanes of passage, and there was oncoming traffic. So in a split second, I had to decide what to do. I decided I'm going to split the lane and go into oncoming traffic to avoid him because if I I didn't want to T-bone him. That just didn't seem like a good option because he was an SUV and my head going straight into the side of a metal vehicle didn't seem like fun. Behind him, I had seen just before that um, shadows running across the road because it was poorly lit. And I knew that was people like scurrying up the hill from the beach and running across this, this road to get to their cars parked on the shoulder. And so if I went behind him and let's say he moves, but there's somebody there and I hit them, I'm thinking to myself, that's vehicular manslaughter. He drives away, and now I'm going to jail for killing somebody. So that's not a great option either. So if somebody's going to get hurt in this, it's going to have to be me. So that's when I decided I'm going to split the lane. So I went into oncoming traffic. Oncoming traffic saw my light coming and slams on their brakes. The kid had his music turned up, his head turned towards, towards the oncoming traffic, and thought, oh, they're stopping for me. So right as I'm in front of him, he steps on the gas hard to get out of the road and just hits me straight on the side of my motorcycle broke my femur on contact, my my leg starts to fly up, got caught by the handlebar, and my foot got shoved into the grill of the SUV, and that's where they found my shoe, because my foot shattered to get out of there, and I went flying over two lanes of oncoming traffic, uh, rolled through the shoulder, hit the curb, and popped up on this berm that was only about probably three feet wide, and then it drops off at something like a 45-degree angle, really sharp, 
And, um, and that's where I teetered for 15 minutes waiting for the ambulance to come. And they said if had I gone down there, the break in my femur would have cut through that inside artery on my, uh, my thigh, and I would have bled to death in three minutes. It's amazing that it wasn't worse than it was. And also when I got hit, I, I was in the air going, what do I do? Like, this guy just hit me. And I thought to myself, tuck and roll, tuck and roll. So, um, and because I play a lot of sports, I was in good shape. I literally just tucked and rolled. And so they were shocked that there wasn't more problems because most people, when they get hit off their bike, they starfish and they put all their arms and limbs out to stop themselves, not realizing that it's probably not a great idea to fight with a concrete, right. uh, thinking that you're stronger than it. So because I rolled, I, I literally just rolled rolled through it nothing else got broken nothing else it was all literally from the impact of the vehicle and uh, the kid who hit me was just this 19 year old kid he didn't mean to do it it was a total accident he stayed there until the ambulance got there and the police got there and stuff um, and the police tried to get me to press charges but had I pressed charges oh he had no insurance I should say that Aww. so he had no insurance because he was in his parents vehicle he thought they had insurance on him but they were um, unfortunately socioeconomically depressed and there's companies that prey upon the socioeconomically depressed and will give you this insurance that basically costs you, costs you the same as other insurance, but they'll give you minimum coverage and they make you exclude anybody in the house that's over the age of 16. So he was excluded on the policy. So he didn't have insurance and the cops were trying to get me to press charges against him because he would go to jail for it. And I'm like, he's a 19 year old kid that made a mistake that we're all capable of and he thought he was covered. There's no way I'm sending this kid to jail. So I just kept telling them, no, stop contacting me about this. Like, I'm not interested unless you're contacting me about a fund or something that can actually help me with all my hospital bills and everything else. I'm, I'm done with this conversation. And so I couldn't go back to work for uh, about a month, month and a half. And during that time, what I did specifically with the company couldn't be replicated. And we went from making record-breaking profits to actually going in the red for the first time in our company's history. And it was, we were bleeding quickly. And so me and my business partner had to make a decision. We weren't sure if I was going to be able to work enough to catch us up to where we needed to be. And so we, we finally just decided to shut it down. And then it was six months in a wheelchair, another six months of not walking normal uh, because the pins and the plates in my toes wouldn't allow them to bend. So if you think about every step you take, your toe bends, I couldn't do that. So I was walking flat footed which affected my back, which affected my legs, which affected my muscles. And then I went through another round of surgeries in uh, July of the next year to remove stuff and get, get things back in working order, make sure everything was good. And then it took another year of recovery from that. And so after, after that next year, I was about 85% and I knew that I wanted to do a reset trip. And that's mm -hmm. basically what this was. Um, it was a reset. I was resetting my life. I, I kind of looked at it as like, okay, God, you didn't like what I was doing. You want me to do something else? What is it? Uh, I'm open. Why did you choose Guatemala? Why did you choose Central? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, on my bucket list was learning Spanish. And uh, I tried to do it with Pimsleur approach here in the States, but taking 30 minutes a day talking to a recording back and forth, which is great. And it, and it does help and it does work. But it just wasn't accomplishing what I needed to do. Plus, all my uh, Spanish friends in Los Angeles, like, I would practice some on them, and they'd be like, can we just talk in English? <laughs> this is exhausting me. And I'm like, uh, okay. Um, and I get it. I mean, so I knew I needed to go somewhere. Immersion was probably the best. And a buddy of mine, Tim, who had been down to Guatemala multiple times, was like, oh, it's, it's the best for sure. You need to go down there. This is where you need to study. Uh, you'll have a great time. And so that's what I did. I was like, okay, nice. it's time for another trip. I'm going to reset everything. At that point, I didn't know what I was doing with my life. I was writing a couple scripts, but writing scripts is like being an entrepreneur. You do all the work ahead, and right. you don't get paid anything, and you hope you get lucky enough to get somebody to like your concepts or your ideas or like your writing style, and you get you know, you know get your movie picked up or something. Right. So I wasn't making any money, and uh, now that I was in good enough shape to, to walk and do stuff, I was like, let's do this. Let's do it. This is an interesting question. Do you ever yep. find yourself being grateful or kind of appreciative for your accident? Do you perceive your life in like a pre-post accident kind of a way? <laughs> um, yes and no. Uh, like my life has never been easy because I never take the easy way. I, it was just uh, like the accident to me was just God's sense of humor to me, to be honest. 
because every time I start to make money and things start to go good, God always throws a wrench in it. And it's right. not that he doesn't want me to make money, but he probably just wants me to, to do something different. So every time there's something good going on, and sometimes it's him and sometimes it's me, right? Uh, but this time it was, you know, I, I definitely feel like like uh, he knew it was going to happen and, and it's a good thing. But no, I, I don't know if I'm thankful for it. If I had a choice, like people always ask me, well, I, I've ridden since then, but they asked me, if you could have taken away all the years of riding and have that two, two and a half years back, would you take it? And I always, yes. And it's it's yeah. not about the company, it's not about the money, because you can always create another company, you can always make more money. It's really about, like, my foot swells when I'm on it for too long now, right? My knee pops all the time, I can't sprint again, um, or I haven't been able to sprint full blast. Like, I can run, but I can't really run fast, and I can't do it for extended periods of time. Uh, I have to think about, like, how I walk what I do and even my friend uh, today was telling me yeah you got a little bit of a limp and I was like I do oh. I didn't know I had a limp and he was like yeah you do and I was like okay that's interesting so and I don't know if I always have a limp or if I just have a limp because I'm walking strangely and it's affecting my back which is affecting you know what I mean mm -hmm. so there's all these like remnant things that come from it from the accident that I would love to take back as far as uh, health health issues but the, the, the amazing thing about it is uh, most people after a really dramatic wreck have nightmares, maybe for years. They lose their hair, they stress, they do all this stuff. Right. I've never had a nightmare. I've never had an issue with it because I just full on accepted, like, I can't change it. Yeah. I can't go back and make my world different. This is the world I live in. Yeah. So how do I make it the best world I can? How do I move forward with life and, um, and you know, and just make sure that I make informed decisions that make sense for me and... I make the best of it. And so that's what I've always done. And I think that's part of the reason why I, I've just never had that same issue. Interesting. Do you think you would have done this trip without the accident? Well, that's a great question. Um, I think I eventually would have because I knew I wanted to visit like Central and South America since my last trip. Because it's funny, as soon as I get back from a trip, I'm like, ooh, where am I going next? Exactly. I don't. I don't know when this trip's going to happen, but I know it's going to happen. And so Central America, South America was on the hit list. Um, so I would have done it. it. It just may have taken, it may have been different for sure. Like if the company had been really successful, um, maybe it would have been less backpacking and more vacation, which I feel like I would have missed out on a lot of my experiences, right. a lot of the good things. It doesn't mean that it would be worse vacationing. It would just been different. So I'm very thankful for the way that I, I did this trip. I'm thankful for the interactions and the people that I met along the way. And, you know, it's funny, like, I, I think we talked about this. When you go, like, you may have, you know, tons of money in the bank and you show up in a country, you quickly ad adopt their uh, currency and the value of things according to their things. So it doesn't matter if you have 100 bucks in the bank account or you have $100,000 in the bank account. Like, I don't want to pay $2 for what I'm supposed to be paying a dollar for. You know, yeah. it just seems so silly. But I think that's also what backpacking does, right? It gives you a correct perspective on the culture, on the, the um, economy, on the things. And it's not even about the $2 or the dollar. It's more about being taken advantage of or not taken advantage of, understanding the culture, not understanding the culture, you know, all those kind of things. So, right. um, so I'm glad. And I feel like you probably touched about this a lot already, but maybe we could go a little deeper. But what did this provide for you? Like, what did this trip give you that you couldn't have in America? in the land of everything. Right. Um, well, I, I think America's amazing, obviously. I, I, I believe it's the best country for me and probably the best country for a lot of people. And I, I don't say it's a perfect system. Obviously, it's not the political system and uh, the government and stuff. There, we have a lot of issues and stuff, but it's probably the best one overall for the needs of the people. And there's a reason why people are always trying to get in here, right? So I, I love my country. And I really appreciate it. But I feel like the kind of experience you get somewhere else, like Europe is really fortunate because it's a bunch of smaller countries that all have very distinct cultures and history that are all combined into one space that's smaller than the United States. So it's very easy for them to understand and get different perspectives on the world. Absolutely. Because all they have to do is drive across a border and they're speaking a different language and they perceive the world differently and the way they handle their economics is different. and all those type things and they've also got easy access you know down into africa or into turkey or mm -hmm. into the middle east or so there's it's just so so diverse over there and so when they look at americans as not traveling i'm always like well you know the united states is larger than europe so 
for us to go from one coast to the other coast, the only thing we're, we're missing out on, because we have the diversity and the topography. I mean, we have, you know, beautiful mountain ranges and amazing crystal clear lakes, you know, beaches and all this stuff. But what we don't have is a cultural diversity. Um, so going down into Central America, even though they all spoke the same language, I felt like every country had a different perspective on life, valued things differently. Uh, most of them valued family really well, which I always appreciated. And I feel like we're lacking a little bit of that in, in the States. And we could probably use some more of, of that, the importance of family. But also like when you're trying to speak another language and you're going to a place that's unfamiliar and a place that's more dangerous. Uh, I think it just it just kind of awakens a lot of different parts of your your brain, your body, your mind, and also makes you really appreciate what you have from where you're from. Absolutely. While you were traveling, and obviously like loving being there, but were there any things that you were like, I can't wait for this in the states? Like for mine was just being able to drink tap water. You know, were there oh. any <laughs> were there any little things that you were yeah. like? Like throwing toilet but... paper into the toilet. How about that? I kept like, doing that for like two weeks. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, it was so weird because when I first got to there, I was like, this just seems so, so dirty and gross. To, like, I'm, I'm, I'm using the restroom and then I'm putting it in a wastebasket, yeah. you know? But after a while, you just get used to it, right? It's not a big deal. But still, every once in a while, you, you, you drop it in there and you'd be like, oh, crap, what did I do? Yeah. But I'm not going back in after it. Let's just be honest. Like, oh, no. it's getting flushed. No. There's definitely something like I made so many amazing people and so many amazing friends, but there's something about coming home and being around people who've known you for a decade or two decades and stuff. Who there's no like introducing yourself or there's so many facets to a person. So people usually only see one when you're traveling or two maybe, but they don't really know the diversity of you. So being able to just be comfortable and having the full diversity of who you are without having to kind of curate your personality right. to fit the, the the situation is really refreshing right. and really nice so that was to, nice you don't have to explain yourself and if anything those people will kind of like remind you about who you used to be before the trip or yeah. years ago you know like oh you love this one type of thing and you're like oh yes I totally so they can kind of bring you bring you back bring, to who you used to be you, yeah well and the good and the bad right yes. you can also see how far you've grown Exactly. Because we all go through process of growth. And right. um, I think, you know, I, I encourage everybody to travel. And uh, when I was in Florida, so I, I went there for a week after the, the whole trip to spend um, a week vacation with my family. My sister goes there every year. I go about once every five years. But she's made really good friends with these certain couples who have kids too, like my sister's kids. And um, I was encouraging this one kid and his family. I was like, you need to go before, you know, either before you go to college because he had graduated or while you're in college, take a year off. Because in America, I, I feel like we're so concerned about, like we have such a system. You, you go to you know high school and you graduate, and as soon as you graduate, you need to make sure you go to the best college you can get into, and then you go to college, and then you're there for four years or five years or whatever it takes to get the you know, best degree you can get. And then as soon as you get out, you, you have to immediately take on the job that's available to you. So you immediately go out and you get a job, and now you're gonna be in that job for two or three years. And as soon as you're done with that job, you have to go to the next job. And it can't yeah. be a parallel position, it has to be a vertical position and jump and stuff so that you can move up the ranking. And it's all this pressure. And I always encourage everybody, I'm like, here's the deal, while you're in college, take a year off. Like, You'll be done with your sophomore year. You'll come back as a junior a year later. Nobody cares except for you'll be a different person. Right. You'll appreciate college. You'll appreciate the world. And uh, But there's also a fear factor, right? I feel like kids in Europe are a little bit more mature than our kids. Like they, mm. Because they, again, have gotten so much cross-cultural experience by being in different countries and traveling and also seeing different perspectives and uh, different political views and understanding how the world works over there. I'm not saying they're all more mature but as a general rule yeah. you take an american 18 year old you take a, a european 18 year old and the american 18 year old's been so sheltered because the parents are so scared for them to to see the world accurately that they that but this would that this is terrifying to them right and that's why they need to go because once they go they're like i'm gonna be alone nobody's gonna talk to me and you're like no that's not how it works no everywhere you go you'll meet you'll meet five best friends yeah and you may travel with them and you may leave them and go meet more people like It'll change your life. Right. So that's what I always encourage everybody to do. And I encourage parents to do it with their kids because, like, that's how you grow your kids up. You want them to mature. You, you're afraid that they're too immature. Send them abroad. Yeah. Make them grow up. 
it really forces you to like you grow up yeah. really quickly because you just have to be self-sufficient especially in yep. places where you don't speak the native tongue that's right um, but i also find that especially in america there's such there's a lot of hysteria around traveling and that it's really dangerous and that you know i told a lot of people like oh, i'm going to mexico and in the back of their heads i knew they were being like okay i, I might never see you again you know, whereas all of these, a lot of these dangerous, that's not to say that these places aren't dangerous, but it's such a, it's such a 50-50 between doing your research, being smart about it, picking up some of the local language and understanding the cultural nuances and ways that they behave there and luck, right. you know, like well, I have just like, as much of a chance of getting harmed in New York City in my home right. than I do if yep. I go abroad. Well, and, and it's, it's not only... It's not only the local people that you're meeting. You're also meeting people from all over the world. Exactly. Yeah. So you're you're meeting everybody from Europe. You're meeting people from Australia, from Asia. You're meeting people from South America, Central America, from the United States, from Canada, and everybody has different perspectives. And they're going to say things that may be offensive to you or seem strange because they're going to talk about your country in a certain way because they have a perspective on it. You can shut down and pretend like that doesn't exist, or you can figure out why they think that. Right. And then it starts to give you a new perspective on on yourself, on your country, on who you are. And it also teaches you how to play nice. Because yeah. if you don't play nice, people will not be your friend. Nobody out there has to be your friend. So if you come from a lot of money and you're used to people being your friend because you have a lot of money or because you're really good looking, that's not the same. It doesn't happen that way. Uh, people really care about like what kind of person you are. And you know, you really have to develop your, your personality skills and um, your interaction skills. And it doesn't mean you can't be shy or a little bit more reserved. Because there's tons of people like that who are also really lovely and they'll fit in with these people who are a little bit more gregarious and it just makes sense. Totally. It's, it's just such a good thing to grow people up and to, to really work on their personalities and also on their understanding of worldviews. Absolutely. So. so we met in Costa Rica and <laughs> where was it? Dominica? Uh, uh, no, I think it was, um, was it Puerto Viejo or was it before then? No, it was before then. Because then we met up oh, in Puerto. Oh, it was Uvida. It was Uvida. That's where it was. Because we did the whale's tail. Yeah, that was Uvida. Uvida. Um, so yeah. we both met each other kind of like in the middle of our trip. Where did yours start and how long have you been going at that point? So, yeah, mine had started in Guatemala and Antigua where I uh, had originally intended to stay for five months and learn Spanish mm -hmm. because it was one of my bucket list items. And... Uh, after being there for three weeks in Antigua, I started to get the itch to travel more. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I kind of had scurried up to Lago Atitlan, which is this beautiful, like, mysterious and mystic lake in the middle yeah. of these volcanoes. And I stayed there for another two weeks, and then I was like, uh, I got bored with it. So I went back to Antigua for a week, down to Monterico, which was a beach for a week. And then was like, okay, that's enough studying. It's time to really backpack. <laughs> And that's really when my, my travels, uh, as far as really exploring Central America, began. And then after that, it was Samuk Champay, which is this amazing natural wonder of the world. Mm -hmm. It's a land bridge that is created because there was a cave uh, underneath the ground, and there was a river that ran over it, and then had like an 18-meter drop on the other side of the mouth of the cave. But at some point, it actually burrowed its way down into the cave, probably about half a mile or a mile back. And what happened was now back there is where it drops into the cave, but there's still enough water from the river that spits up on top that it creates these massive pools of crystal clear water uh, with some fish, but it's it's just majestic. And so you just go there and all the pools are really warm and the sun just, you know, bakes down on you and you're in this jungle. So it's, it's kind of amazing, Samuk Champagne. Absolutely. And then after that, jumped up to Tikal, you know, one of the ancient Mayan ruins and then I was like, okay, got to go hit Belize and Keycocker, and then kind of went down the coast of Belize and jumped down to Honduras and did some scuba diving and then Nicaragua. And then I got to Costa Rica right in time for Semana Santa, which is like their biggest holiday uh, of the year. It's much bigger than Christmas for them, apparently. Everything shuts down, and I arrived on a Thursday, and Friday was oh, no. uh, Holy Friday, which is the day for them. And it's the it's Easter celebration, right? It's... Uh, it's Good Friday when, when Jesus died on the cross. And then on Easter, you would think that would be the biggest day for them. But no, they're, they're still partying from Friday. So everything shuts down. So I got stuck in San Jose. 
And then I was like, where do I want to go? And uh, Uvita was one of the suggestions that I heard. And so on that Monday or Tuesday, I, I headed down to Uvita. Nice. Yeah. Um, and so for how much longer did you travel after we yeah. met up? And because you, at that point, you were like, okay, I'm really only going to stay in Costa Rica. But yeah. then it sounds like you decided to go for a longer amount of time and yeah. farther north. So originally I had this, uh, I was supposed to be coming back May 12th. I left on January 2nd and I was coming back on May 12th. And so when I went down, so I was in Costa Rica and I went back over to the other side, the Caribbean coast of Puerto Viejo. And while I was there, um, a friend of mine hit me up who has a YouTube channel um, and had seen some of my YouTube stuff, uh, or a friend of a friend, seen some of my YouTube stuff who was up in La Fortuna, which is kind of um, by uh, Vulcan Arano. And was like, hey, come up here. I've got a, I've got a mountain house. You can crash with me. We can do some collab work, and do some YouTube stuff together. And I was like, oh, that'd be a lot of fun. And um, he had a travel agency. So basically, what that meant was that everything that he did, uh, adventure-wise, would be comped by the companies. Oh, that's amazing. Pretty amazing. That's so I went back. Yeah, it really was. So I went up to La Fortuna. Um, I didn't actually know this person. Again, it was a, a through of another friend, and he knew about my YouTube stuff. And so. You know, that's part of the beauty of traveling is you just kind of go and you're like, oh, why not? So I showed up and he came and got me and um, and then we started zip lining and, you know, whitewater rafting and river tubing and hiking through uh, waterfalls and volcanoes and, you know, uh, going out on the, the lake and pontoon boats and like, you name it, we did it. And uh, it was amazing. So that was a place that was hard to leave just because... First of all, it was free. Like, pretty much everything was free except for food, which, you know, in Costa Rica, food's probably the most expensive thing you can exactly. do. <laughs> Next to adventure. So the adventure stuff was cheap, or free for us, which was great. And we're talking, like, $100 packages where we're ziplining for four or five. We're dropping, you know, 50-meter 50, 50 um, controlled descents and then jumping into these tubes that basically go down a crazy river that is a natural river but they dug out the stones put them on the side to create them into rapids mm-hmm. so you're literally just bouncing down for three miles and it's it's amazing it was it was insane um and i stayed there for like another two weeks i think two two and a half weeks and we also went down to manuel antonio did some parasailing some other stuff and so it was just a really fun time and then after that i was like i have to go to panama when i went down to panama i realized oh crap we're in may already <laughs> and uh in order to get from uh, go down to Panama and get back up to Antigua where I need to, because I was flying out of it, it just wasn't working. So I was like, well, why am I leaving? So I just changed my ticket to the middle of June, June 20th, to come back into the States. Nice. So I just I just changed it. And uh, the craziest thing is like, when you're crossing over borders, every border's so different. So yeah. if you're going into Panama from Puerto Viejo, you have to walk over this old bridge that at one time I think a train went across it. I don't think so anymore. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't know if cars do or not. No. But you, it, they're so it's so rickety. I also did that crossing. Yeah. It's the yeah, coolest border like, crossing I've ever done. Yeah, you feel like you're like um, okay, so I am taking my life into my hands every time I cross over. This is an adventure. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, think about Costa Rica. Like you go over that one bridge on the way to Manuel Antonio, mm-hmm. and there's what like 40 or 50 crocs below you. They I don't I don't know what they call it. But it's like crocodile bridge or whatever. Right. And they're massive. And so you're walking over this one. And you're like, how many crocodiles do you think is in this <laughs> one below? It's like if I did fall, like because crocodiles don't care, right? I no. mean, they don't care at all. They They'll eat anything that moves. So, like, you fall into the water, you, you know, you, you could be crock bait. So, I mean, it's kind of cool, too, because you have, like, this kind of this mystic bridge that's, you know, in any other country would be condemned. And uh, and that's how you enter into Panama. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, Panama. <laughs> yeah. So, after that, I, I jumped back up, and I, I went up to Honduras. Uh, a friend of mine, I made friends with a the manager of a scuba uh, dive shop up in uh, Honduras in Utila mm-hmm. and he lives in Tegucigalpa and he had left and went back to where he was and he was like you gotta come visit so Tegucigalpa I think is the fourth most dangerous city in the world behind San Pedro Zula which is in um, Honduras as well between the two cities I've been in two of the top five most dangerous cities in the world and there I actually stayed for a while uh, spent spent some days Thank with his family and it's it's really interesting just the different lifestyles that people live like his family had some money so they were good and 
Um, they had like a compound with razor wire and all this stuff. But like some of the stories he told me about what they had to do because people will, they'll come over your fence, they'll cut your razor wire, they'll come in, they'll rob, they'll rape, they pillage. It's it's dangerous because there's no jobs and people don't have money and there's no social system really in place to feed people. So what do you do? But what I did find out was Tegucigalpa, which is the capital of Honduras, was not supposed to be. I cannot remember the name of the original capital, but basically what happened, which actually fits into the whole corruption and, um, you know, the whole Central America, like, system of the people with money, the people with power can Mm. literally almost do anything that they want. So the president back in, like, maybe it was the late 1800s or early 1900s, um, or the dictator or whoever it was, decided to move the capital from where it was, which was in this great like valley where there was lots of land for it to grow and do all this stuff up to Tegucigalpa which is all in the mountains and the reason for it was he had a mistress there and it was taking him too much time to go back and forth to his mistress so and people didn't know that his mistress was there maybe they did so he basically got everybody to move the city to Tegucigalpa which is all in the mountains in order for him to be closer to his mistress and so it was never, and that's why Tegucigalpa is also like, it's kind of a nightmare when you drive through it and stuff. Like there's all these hills and like there's no no alternative routes a lot of times to get from one place to another place because um, you, you've got natural barriers like a mountain right. that prevents you from getting to the other side unless you go all the way around and then somebody else is already trying to do that. So it's it's wow. crazy. But what, what one man will do to get laid? <laughs> Move yeah. an entire city. Wow, that's insane. So from Honduras, where did you go afterwards? So then I, so I went back to Antigua, and part of the reason was, um, so I, I'm not sure if I told you about this, but mm-hmm. when I was in uh, Antigua, I was doing a homestay. So I was going to a school um, where I was getting four hours a day lessons with a teacher one-on-one, and then I was staying in a homestay with this lovely family called the Romeros. And one of the other guys that was staying there, he had to be like 67, 68. But when I met him, he didn't have a tooth, a front tooth. Like he had the rest of his teeth, but he didn't have a front tooth. And I was like, that's strange. And it turned out that he was actually having it replaced. But instead of having a temporary tooth put into place, he wanted to see if if it would change his game at all with the women to not have a tooth, which I thought was hilarious. And he's such a character. Like he's a cartoon character in every sense of the word he's a caricature of a human but a wonderful amazing guy that like but this is one of his ideations right like hey why don't i try it without a tooth see if i have more luck you're like who thinks of that that's hilarious Um, so he was getting a new tooth and he raved all about his dentist and i thought well you know i i um, i have a crown that needs to be replaced so i'll go in and check with him and so i went in the price on it was so cheap that i was like let's do it so Huh. But yeah, crazy. Crazy. So yeah. then after Antigua. So after Antigua, um, I was like, well, I, I when I changed my flight, going out of Guatemala was going to be really expensive again. Right. So I decided to fly from Cancun to Florida because my family was going to do a vacation in Florida at the end of June anyways. And I was like, oh, well, if I'm going to extend it, I might as well extend it and fly into Florida and get to see my family and do all that stuff. So that's what I did. So... Um, I went up to San Cristobal, which mm. is in the south and kind of the middle of the country. This beautiful colonial city that's kind of like Antigua, but yeah. different. Yep. You've been there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had the same exact feeling. When I went to Antigua, I was like, this is like San Cristobal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's so beautiful. It's so yeah. nice. It's tucked away. Stayed at a great hostel that I really loved, and I would have stayed longer if I had time. And then I went over to Palenque on my way through nice. um, to look at the ancient ruins. But what was ironic about that experience was traveling from San Cristobal to Palenque, I think it's supposed to be about five hours. Yes. And you go through this middle city and you change shuttles or whatever. So you pay this much for this shuttle and you pay this much from this shuttle on public, right? Well, the first one I was on, we get to a certain point and the, the traffic's all the way backed up and I'm thinking there's got to be a horrible accident, something uh, happened. No, the people down in that area, and I forget what they're called. The Zapatistas. Were rebelling. There you go, yep. Zapatistas. They were rebelling against the government, and so they just put blockades across the highways to shut down commerce. But I'm not commerce. I'm just somebody who's trying to get somewhere. And, like, you would see these big, beautiful, like, the the buses, um, and they're just stuck there. So what the van company did, which was really smart, because I guess um, it's the same shuttle company that 
goes back and forth all the time, was what they did was they had us walk across the uh, picket line, I guess, if you call it that, yeah. and um, where they literally had boards down with nails sticking up, and they wouldn't let any vehicles pass, but they would let us walk by it. So we, with our backpacks, we'd have to pack up, walk walk across the line, go down a little bit, get another shuttle. It would take us to the next point. Then we had to do it again for another one and go across. And so our five-hour trip took about seven and a half wow. hours. Um, in the boiling heat, it was hot, it was humid, it was yeah. crazy. And then when I finally got to Palenque, where I had reserved to stay, was where everybody told me, which is outside of it in this jungle area. And then to find a place to eat, it was tough. And also, they didn't have any hostels out there, but they did have bungalows. So I met this random girl who was going through the same struggles I was to get across, and we connected, and then we were there, and we were like, well, we, let's show you a bungalow. And so we, we asked this woman, she puts us in a bungalow, and we're imagining two twin beds. It was just a full bed, just a little, little full bed. So I was like, all right, let's do this. Get cozy. So, I did the same so, thing in Machu Picchu. Like, I met a guy that day on the bus to get there, and yep. it was cheaper for us to just have our own private room, private bathroom, breakfast included, um, than to do a hostel where we're staying with, you know, like a 10-person dorm. But the only the only thing was that we had to share a bed, and, you know, yeah. nothing, nothing happened, but it was one of those, like, I'm totally yep. okay with this. Like, yeah. I have my own private bathroom. That's fine. This, we're adults. Yeah, we're, we're adults, and there's kids. always there's always one thing, you know. Especially yeah. when you're traveling in Central America, there's always like one thing that just yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's so funny because like I obviously post on Instagram. I've got some videos up on my YouTube channel, which I've got probably about thirty or forty more that I need to edit and put up there. Right. And um, uh, everybody looks at it and they're like, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe you were on vacation for." six months it looks so magical and stuff I'm like yeah it was but you didn't see all the in-betweens when it wasn't so magical exactly. but it's what made the trip the trip you know if it was five-star entertainment the entire time I think it would have felt very flat and mm -hmm. bland and I think it's like all these little little experiences and these little inconveniences and nuance uh, nuances and nuisances yeah. that actually enrich in the trip and make it seems like so much more yeah because it's it's all about like just kind of figuring out like okay this is an obstacle like how am I going to handle it am I gonna be an obnoxious American and be like no oh my god like I need my own space there's no yeah. Wi-Fi are you gonna freak out or are you just gonna embrace it and are you gonna love the fact that this is happening you know even That's though it's right. not an ideal situation yeah well it's it's funny that you mentioned obnoxious Americans so here's the thing. <laughs> After Palenque, after seeing the ruins and going to Roberto Barrios, which is these amazing waterfalls and all this stuff, I went up to Tulum. I was going to do the uh, cenotes. Yes. You know what the cenotes are? Oh yeah, because we stayed okay. in we stayed in Playa del Carmen for three weeks. They're my favorite. Cenotes yeah. are amazing. Did you dive or did you swim? No, we just swam. Okay. But the diving so, one looked amazing. Did you do that one? It, yeah, so nice. I dove into, one was called The Pit, the other one was called Dos Ojos, yeah. and uh, it just seems unreal when you're under there, because the visibility, The Pit was amazing, because it went down to like probably 60 meters, but where we were, it went down to like 35 meters, and the water's so crystal clear, yeah. and there's like nothing in it, and you also go through like a, I think it's called a thermocline and a helicline, mm -hmm. so one of them is when it goes from fresh water to salt water, and during that like meter or two or whatever, that you're going through it everything's blurry like the water is just blurry and then you yeah. you get below it and it's it's perfectly clear again but it's just in that mix and then also like the temperature actually uh, either gets warmer or gets colder i can't remember how it worked but like the water temperature would would change and that was the thermocline but the water was so crystal clear and the light shining down through um the hole in the top was sending down these things and so when your bubbles blew into the light it looked like it was glitter so like the entire thing was like glittering and shimmering this is so unreal it's magic it's so fascinating yeah it really was yeah. so i did i did those in tulum after that i went to playa del carmen like you did spent mm -hmm. a couple days and then i went to valladolid because there was other cenotes i had heard about that were supposed to be some of the most beautiful ones in all of the yucatan mm -hmm. one of them was called exit Ken, I think, or X, X, it's like X-Cake, K-E-N, yeah. K-E-N or something, X-Ken-Ken. 
and then there's the other one was called like Samoa or Samoa and uh, the first one I went into was so beautiful and it was almost like a sacred place it was actually in a cave there was a hole through the top where there was a, a tree that some of its branches were growing down but it was like very large and they obviously had curated and uh, created this really cool space with like stadium style seating but you'd swim in the water the water was cold but for the most part it was dark except for the light shining through it and some lights they had put around it but when i walked in there there was like this reverence that was being treated and everybody was like this is almost like a spiritual place and i think the mayans actually thought that it was the gateway to the underworld so these were very sacred places to them and so you're just sitting there and you're just floating in this pool of you know crystal clear water with this light that shines down like in this perfect spot and it's so serene and then i got out and i went over to the other one so you had to get out of the whole thing walk across this major street go back to the place where you bought your tickets go through this other thing and go down so well, while I was getting my tickets, there was this whole group of Americans that were like from Louisiana or somewhere, and they were so loud and obnoxious, and I had just bought my ticket, and then they had come up, and they were like, oh, yeah, and they were like, okay, everybody, we're going to this one, and I was like, oh, no, that's the one I'm going to, and like, they were loud, and they were obnoxious, and I was like, well, you know, they want to see this stuff, I get it, but you knew that they came on a bus where they're going to do like four activities that day, and there's some travel company that's utilizing, you know, all this stuff. Right. I, I was just kind of going like, ah, oh, this is no good, uh, or thinking that, you know, this is going to be trouble. But you know what, make the best of it, you never know. So, And maybe they'd all get really silent and reverent when they came in, no big deal. So I went into that one, that cenote, and I go down, and I'm there at first, and there's like two other people, like this quiet couple, and so we're all being quiet, and you put your feet down into the water, and like those little fish that would eat all your dead skin and come yeah. nibble on your feet. Amazing. And all of a sudden, you could hear them like a herd of elephants coming down the steps. They get inside the cave and they start hooting and hollering just to hear it echo. And they're like, oh, you know, what, what, can you hear me? They're jumping off the sides of stairs into the pools of water doing cannonballs. They start crawling up the walls where the electrical lines are run. So they're like going, ducking under them and then stepping over them to jump off certain spots. I'm like, you guys are effing idiots. This is why... People have such a negative response to Americans. I get yeah. it now. Like, yeah. I'm an American, and but I get why people have a negative response to us. Like, you guys are creating, and, and God bless them. They probably had no clue yeah. of what they were doing because they just weren't being thoughtful, right? They were just coming in. They're on vacation. They're probably there for six days. They're doing this activity. They're all amped up, you know, half college kids, some parents, some other stuff. But it was the overall, like, just lack of respect for space and for culture and stuff like I was like, ah, oh, this is it. Yeah, this is it. This is why. And there was another person there who I was talking to who was she was from England or somewhere else. And she was maybe 20, 21. So she was about their age. And she was like, so well put together and so quiet and whatever. Uh, she, she made a comment about why people don't like Americans. And I was like, you know, I'm American, right? And she was like, you're not Canadian. And I just thought, oh, that sums up America and Canada right there. Yeah. There's definitely a so, stereotype that Canadians are way more polite, which I have met a lot of yeah. very polite Canadians, but it's tricky. It's, it's It's a weird thing to experience as, as an American an who tries to be respectful, because like yeah. one thing that drove me crazy personally, and you probably as well, because like you actively tried to learn the language, and yeah. that was really important to you, versus yeah. a lot of Americans who come down and expect to be spoken to in English and don't right. try to learn their language like to me that makes my blood boil well it's it's that whole thing like you should treat us like our culture we don't have to adapt to your culture mentality yeah and and, and to be honest with you I, I think that's an upbringing I think that's also um, an education thing yeah. I think that's just a, an awareness thing that um, there were some parents there and, and they were hooting and hollering too and trying to cause problems, not problems, but you know what I mean? They were kind of causing commotion. So right. I, I don't blame children from learning from their parents for doing that. I, I blame the parents for not educating no, the children better. Yeah. So then after that, I went up to Isla Mujeres, mm -hmm. which was my last stop before I flew out of Cancun. Did you go to Isla Mujeres? No, I didn't. Where is that? Okay, so on the north side of Cancun, Right off the tip, there's this little island called Isla Mujeres, which is obviously the island of women. Oh, right, right, right. okay. It's so good. Yeah. Uh, the 
probably the best beaches in Mexico that I saw. White, there's this uh, Playa Norte, which is on the north side of the island. And all of the activity happens on this one part of the island, and the rest of the island has some houses and stuff. But everybody drives around in golf carts, uh, which is kind of crazy. There's a couple taxis, but most people do golf carts and stuff, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, the island was just, like, beautiful. Now, not, like, touristy beautiful. So some of the buildings were definitely built by people who had no taste. Uh, there's this big pink, ugly hotel thing that you just look at and you're like why would you build that monstrosity there mm-hmm. but the beach is so like pristine and the water just barely laps up on it because it's protected by some reefs and stuff and it's crystal clear blue sandy and amazing and overall like it's just such a great thing that nobody do- nobody knows about it like there wasn't there wasn't tourists there there was backpackers there or people who came uh, for conferences and stuff like that. And there was some tourism, but overall it wasn't like Cancun. It wasn't like Cozumel. It was completely almost like probably what Cancun was like 40 years ago. Right. And I loved it, every moment of it. So do you have any places out of everywhere that you went that surprised you the most? I, I don't like um, using favorite because that's really... Yeah. Yeah, that's like comparing apples and oranges. Like, yeah. oh, do you like apples better or oranges? Well, I like them both. But are there They're any different. that, like, really stood out to you? Yeah. Well, there was definitely places where I felt like I didn't spend enough time, and mm-hmm. I wish I had more time to spend there. One of those was Samuk Champagne, which I've already spoken about, and totally. part of that was because of Zephyr Lodge, which is this hostel slash hotel tucked up on this hill. Just the design of it, the people, the energy... It was one of those places where when I left, I was like, oh, I wish I could have stayed for two or three more days. Mm-hmm. Utila was the same, which is where it's, um, it's there's Utila and Roatan, which are the sister islands off the coast of Honduras. And they're not like Honduras. Like Honduras is dangerous. They're not. And uh, I definitely felt like I could have spent another week there. Uh, but it's also a place where you can get stuck. And they've, they've got a YouTube video about Utila, about people coming there for like a vacation and staying for like 12 years. Oh, um, and I get it. Like, it yeah. makes sense. Like, you don't want to leave. Uh, so that was pretty pretty amazing. I think there was cities along the way that were kind of, like, great. Like, La Fortuna, like, obviously I had a, a separate experience just because uh, for adventure it was amazing, but also because um, I had my buddy there who, like, knew everybody and took me around and kind of introduced me and, you know, uh, took me to the, the, the best people and the best activities. So that place, like, I definitely could have gotten lost there, and um, and I didn't. <laughs> but yeah. I like I could have stayed there for another month or two easily and just been like so relaxed because the pace of life and everything was just easy. And I mean, Uvita, what did you think of Uvita? Oh, I thought it was magical. I think I liked Puerto Viejo a little bit more, just because with Uvita, there everything was so spaced out. But yeah. I was staying with girls who lived there. And they really loved it. But I'm a person, I like having a town center. And there wasn't so much of that. It was really just a lot of beach. But I mean, like, that walk to the whale's tail and back with you was definitely one of the highlights of my trip. Just the beach right next to the jungle was incredible. Yeah. Well, and I mean, like, do you, do you remember when we were out there and we were taking some pictures and then the water kept rising? Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, this is rising quickly. Oh. Yeah. You know, because the magic of the whale tail is that it disappears. Yeah, You know, exactly. twice a day. And we were about to disappear with it, which was, you know, we were like, oh, oh, no big deal. Okay, it's coming across. Oh, that's cool. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, oh, oh this is getting deep. Yeah. Oh, we should probably go. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, that, I mean, like, that came in in, like, 15 minutes. Oh, so quickly. We like, were, it took forever. Yeah. For, you know, for it to, to go away, but it, it, it just rushed in. So I was like, I wonder if we could have gotten up on one of those rocks on the actual whale tail and been safe right. or not. You right. know, wait for the next tide to go out. I, I don't know. I don't know. So, well, but I thought, I, th- I thought it was magical. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. Costa Rica in general is just incredible. Um, yeah. There was a lot of, yeah, I just, I really can't use it. Like, sometimes I feel kind of cheesy when I say the word magical, but like, experiencing cenotes and like I did bioluminescence in Bocas del Toro and it's mad like it's magic in the way that in the way that like children make fairy houses you know and it is it's a really difficult thing to kind of explain but again you're totally right in that 
Um, well, I mean, let's just use Gobstopper trees, for example. Oh my God, I mean, crazy. how amazing are those trees? Yeah. Like, that's crazy. You just keep peeling off different layers, and each layer is a different, amazing color. That, that doesn't happen in America. It's blowing my mind. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's, just, it's just awesome to see how, um, especially in Costa Rica, because I think there's one, I think it's this, the south, I can't remember if it's the southwest or southeast corner, is one section is the most biodiverse area in the world. Yeah, I think <laughs> that's in the southwest. It's on that, uh, that peninsula. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I that's definitely south where it is. of, like, where, where we met the first time. Um, yeah. So it's just like, it's just mind blowing. Like, it's just, it's kind of, it's almost like going to a different planet, and it's just amazing to see the wide amount of beauty that this earth kind of has in like a yeah. kind of cheesy way, but in like a, this is, I'm still on the same planet, you know? Right. And it's so Absolutely. different from what I grew up with. So I think we're gonna wrap it up a little bit, and yeah. one thing well, that I like asking people, you're one of the, I think you're the second American that I've interviewed. Um, <laughs> okay. And uh, a lot of the times I ask people, you know, teach me something in your, uh, in your native tongue that you guys would say, but you could also tell me if there's a certain type of quote or something that you kind of like carry with you that maybe helped inspire your trip, that resonates with you, that every time you hear it, you're like, oh, this is why I do what I do. Yeah. Do you have any? No, I totally understand. Yeah. Well, I, I've always loved this quote, um, a life spent making mistakes is not only more honorable, but more useful than a life spent doing nothing. Oh, that's and perfect. I, I think, yeah, it, it just kind of captures me. Like I would rather, like I'm an entrepreneur because I'd like to swing the bat and I fail 99% of the time. But one of those times is I'm gonna connect and I'm gonna hit a home run and I swing for the fences and I'm fine with that. And my life has been rich and people with a lot of money with a lot of things are uh, have been really jealous of me uh, which I always find ironic because I'm like well you guys have everything but the thing that they don't have is the courage to be fully themselves and to try and do and not being concerned about making the wrong turn and you know this with um, traveling like you have tons of turns you can make and it's like oh do I go to this location do I go to this location yes Absolutely. You go to either one. It doesn't matter. There's no right or wrong. It's right or left. That's how life is. So don't be afraid to make the right or left. Just go for it. I love it. That was perfect. So okay. say, say goodbye. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, well, thank you guys all for listening to my uh, fun little adventure and ridiculous stories. And yeah, thanks you so much for talking with me. Totally. Later that day, we ventured out to a corner of the beach where the waves come in on an angle and the sand juts out into the bay in the shape of a whale's tail. Seriously, it looks like a giant whale's tail. It's so incredible. It was low tide when we decided to go out to see it. An hour passed in what seemed like a few minutes as we walked the line of sand dividing the Pacific shore from the rest of the world. We walked slowly through the thinning foliage alongside the beach, and the shade from the trees relieved us from the blistering Costa Rican sun. The small talk began to peel away with our clothing. He opened up about how his universe had been thrown into chaos and was taking time to travel and reflect and to fulfill some life goals before heading back to the States. I felt comforted being around someone who felt tugged in lots of different directions at the same time, never knowing if they will all someday converge. He also had a few years on me, which I thought was brave of him to go out at a time when establishing your career is so imperative in the States. It's always affirming when you meet someone who's decided to take themselves out of their element to figure stuff out, who are just as lost or I don't want to say lost, maybe directionless or wayward, who are just as wayward as you are and are okay with taking time to figure it out. Once we were at the tip of the whale's tail, at the point farthest from shore, the tide started to rise. Extreme risk takers are rare, 
but I felt like my conversation with Dina was helping me figure out kind of what I wanted in life. How much further could I travel? How many more risks could I take before burning out? Was I like Dino? Someone who needed chaos to survive? Like love or water? Suddenly the bags that we had put down were almost under the ocean, at risk of being swept away as the sea rushed in around us. In the distance, what had once looked like boulders in the sand were now floating pebbles. We hurried back to shore, the tide lapping at our calves. Talking to Dino about how life just sweeps you up sometimes made me feel strangely focused and connected, like I had just found a piece of my puzzle. Few people bring that feeling out in me the way he did as we walked back to shore along the edge of the world, ready to fall off. A don Luis. Sí. Ah, ya, sí. Ah, eso mismo. Ve? Ya. Sí. Porque también pueden ir. Los puedo ir a dejar. Ustedes caminan y volver con él. In the next episode, we meet Graham Hughes, who is the modern embodiment of Indiana Jones, near his private island in Bocas del Toro, Panama. He has traveled to every single country without flying. And together, we try to pick apart some of the cornerstones of humanity. However, if they do travel, I think it can help them see the world in a whole new light because it's a lot harder to be misogynistic, to be racist, to be anti-Semitic, to be Islamophobic, when you've got friends from these countries who are awesome and you love them. Next time on Strangers Abroad.